Let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 14. There is a lot that happens in Mark 14, and um, we're, you know, working through all of those things. Um, the It's interesting to me as we think about the Scriptures, because many times we'll sit down and read the paper from front to back, if you still get a paper, um, I'm going to confess in my adult life, I have never received a newspaper. <laughs> I've tried to read it a few times, but I don't think I'm missing that much. Anyway, um, but we'll sit down, make sure everything, we know everything's going on in the world, or we'll read a whole chapter in a book, and we'll, um, you know, can't put it down. They put the cliffhanger at the end, you got to turn the page, and yet when we look at the scriptures, we end up going, man, i got to read three pages? Oh, that's so much, you know. And so uh, the, the way I work through the Scriptures, you know, we end up, you know, it's like three pages. I mean, we're going to spend th- three months on these three pages. You're correct. <laughs> we are. Um, not, not maybe that long, but uh, there, there's a lot that happens in Mark chapter 14. And uh, really what we see is what we would call the passion or the suffering of our Lord. We see Holy Week at uh, at work and all the different ways it happened, and now we come to this place of the Passover. The Passover was, and is, one of the top uh, holidays of significance in the Jewish faith. And uh, what many didn't realize is, as they had been celebrating the Passover, as it had been instituted at the Exodus of over a thousand years before we we see our our time here, that it was a time of prophecy. They were always celebrating it as a time of remembrance. And again, we'll come to it, and and really when we we look at today, it's going to be coming to remember something more. It expands the meaning and its fulfillment on the cross. And this is the night before Jesus' crucifixion. And, and we think about all these things that happen in Holy Week, and we see these extended introductions in the gospel that lead up to the suffering, up to the passion of our Lord. And we see now that it comes to full force here. It's been climbing the hill up to this time, and now we're about to reach that summit. And all of a sudden, things might end up crashing down. I was thinking about that yesterday. I was out riding my bike, and I don't tend to get off trails. There's people who actually mountain bike in the room right now, and I don't want to you know, lessen the effect of those things. But um, I, I, I try to push myself a little further when I ride because you know that's how you get stronger and stuff. And so yesterday I was trying to push myself up some hills that I that typically avoid, frankly. Um, and, and then here, here's the thing is when you, you come up the hill, you get to go back down. Coming up the hill is a lot of work, especially when your gut is as big as mine. It takes a long time to get up that hill. But then you turn around, and all of a sudden things start coming a whole lot faster. If you're not careful, you're going to end up in a painful position. Well, here we find ourselves at the crest. And I don't think the disciples, and I know it for a fact, really understood what was going on. They're about to hit the downhill. And Peter 
next week we'll look at this, and we will celebrate the Lord's Supper as we talk about it this week. We observe it next week. Um, we're going to see Peter's denial seems like it's careening out of control. But God keeps us on that path. This suffering, this, it seems like the, the, the downhill slide that we come to at this moment. This is all a part of the fulfillment of history that God has for us in Jesus Christ. And so when I think about those kinds of things, um, I come to this place where we are reminded of what God has in store for our lives in this place of fulfillment. And ultimately, on a day that we might look at Memorial Day and a, a day of remembering those who gave their lives for our country, and a reminder now of what Christ has done for us because of our sin. So let's go to Mark chapter 14, and we'll be in verses 22 through 26. I invite you to stand as we read. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. He took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they, they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Lord, thank you for this reminder of your sacrifice. And may our lives be lived in honor and blessing of what you have done in redeeming the world by your body and your blood. In your son's name. Sorry, I mumbled that there and went for my water. You guys were just staring at me. Good job. Okay. There's not much more common to us in the Christian faith than this passage. We see it in all four of the Gospels worded in different ways, and, and I actually learned some things about it, and, and it's because I've learned more about the Passover in the last couple of years. But in, in the Gospel of Luke, you actually see that he takes the cup multiple times. Well, now I see why that matters. Because in the Passover meal, there were actually four cups. And where we find ourselves here, though it doesn't specifically say it, we find ourselves at the third cup. And it's that cup of fulfillment, that cup of redemption, what Jesus does for us. They come in this place, and we last week we, we saw this place of betrayal where, where it's going to happen, uh, that, that Judas, and we've talked about him for a couple of weeks now, how it was part of that fulfillment, what God does for us and what he did for us on the cross, that this one would betray him. And now they still share this meal together they were eating, he took the bread and he, he blessed it. Well, where did, why does that matter? Because this now becomes, and his intention of it is something that we would come back to remember as his body, the church. He changes this place of redemption and shows that he is the fulfillment of the redemption. And that's one of the things that I've, I've really caught through this 
re-entry into the Gospels the, in, in the Gospel of Mark is how much of what we see Jesus do for us. We, we tend to see it, again, biographically, that this is what happens. But so much of it is fulfillment. Because God told us that this was going to happen. We just didn't realize it. And again, we see that throughout the Gospels, that Jesus tells them that they would see all these signs in different ways, and they wouldn't get it. And Mark even says, and he says, they didn't understand it because Jesus had not yet risen from the dead. Spoiler alert, that's what's going to happen in the next if you didn't catch that yet, the price paid for our sins is not the end in itself, but it's what we are reminded of here because it itself, that sacrifice is what brings us the life that we find in the resurrection. And so we're going to see those places fulfilled. And I want to go back into the Old Testament a little bit today. And we've been doing that on our Wednesday night study. We looked at the life of Moses, and we, we saw some of these things along the way. But I want to go back to Exodus chapter 6. And that's way back in the beginning. Um, I'll, I'll give you the page number if we get there, but it also is going to be on the screen, I believe. Um, Exodus chapter 6, where we see this instruction given about the covenants. And here is where the Passover begins and God's promise of his deliverance of his people, Israel. Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, it says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. This is the scripture they would read at this moment. And it was the picture of what God had done in releasing the children of Israel from the slavery that they had been living under for those hundreds of years then. And now, at fast forward, you know, they, they get through all the ten plagues, and ultimately they get to this place of the Passover where the, the lamb is, um, is sacrificed. They place the blood over the doorpost, and if the, the, the doors did not have that blood over it, then the angel of death would pass, and they would lose the firstborn. The ones who did not lose it were the ones who obeyed the Lord, the ones who trusted the Lord. And, and see, obedience... And trust go together. Because it's kind of a strange thing to paint blood on your doorpost. Right? It's not something I've done. But God tells them, do this. Trust me. And so they did. And because of trusting the Lord, they found deliverance. And that lamb that was sacrificed, but which the blood was set on the doorpost, was a picture, the price that would be paid ultimately for eternal deliverance. So as humans, we, we deal with, you know, living as slaves. And, of course, it's a controversial term in our world today, in our nation today. But we're not talking about race or, or any of those things. What we're talking about is a condition. We're slaves to sin. We're slaves to the law. We're slaves to sin because we just can't stop it on our own. 
We're slaves to the law because we think that the law will fix it. Well, Jesus lived the law perfectly and became that sacrifice, that spotless lamb. And that's where we see that place of fulfillment come at now the Lord's Supper, what we call the Lord's Supper. It's the, in the midst of that Passover meal. And we see it also fulfilled in the covenant given to the Lord. I'll make sure I, I wrote it down on my notes. I want to make sure I go to the right place. Exodus chapter 24. Go, go forward a little bit in the book of Exodus. Again, verse 6, I believe, in that chapter. This is after they escape Egypt. This is after the giving, in the midst of the giving of the law, but after the giving of the Ten Commandments. He talks again about the covenant. And Moses took, verse 6, and Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. That's kind of gross. But what it does is it again reminds us the price that must be paid for sin. And it was something that they continually did. This was the establishment of that covenant of the, of the law, of that picture of the sacrifice that ultimately would be made in Jesus, pointing forward to him. The terminology used in the scriptures typically was to cut a covenant. I mean, that they cut the sacrifice in half, and they would walk in between it, and they say, if, if we break this covenant, let it be as this animal. Let me die. It's a serious business, this covenant. And ultimately, Jesus fulfills it, and he shows us how he does here. Take, this is my body. And he breaks the unleavened bread. Why is it unleavened? Because leaven is a picture of sin. It's a pure sacrifice, broken for us. And we see that that covenant ultimately now that they had been celebrating for over a thousand years is fulfilled in Jesus. It doesn't make it any less important that it's fulfilled. We need to be reminded that this is the price that is paid for our sin. The breaking of the body of our Lord. We need to be reminded that it was not without cost that we have the opportunities to bless Him. And this table, you see, it says, this do in remembrance of me. I think I'm quoting it correctly. I've only looked at it about 1,050 times. But we do this to be reminded of the sacrifice of how Christ is broken for us. To fulfill this covenant. Why does the shedding of blood matter? We look forward into Hebrews and talk about that and see all those things. Without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness of sin. And this cup, you know, my, my cup's just water here. But the cup of the wine was a common cup. I know, COVID may say we can't do that anymore. My goodness. Baptists hadn't done it that way in a while anyway. 
got our little, you know, tiny cup that we hold. But it's a common cup that reminds us of the sacrifice that, that has been made for our sin. That without the shedding of blood, we wouldn't find that forgiveness. And that's why the blood was splattered on the people. To remind them of the forgiveness that they had because of their obedience to the Lord. You and I, though it may not look like it, if you have trusted Christ as our Savior, that's one of the pictures that we have in baptism. That is that covenant working together and confessing together Christ as Lord. And that picture of our cleansing comes as, again, a step of obedience. It's not a step of salvation. There's nothing about water that saves us. It's Christ's blood that saves us and His sacrifice. But it's a picture of obedience that we have trusted the Lord. And we have given it all to Him. Again, we see more fulfillment through here. Isaiah 53, that suffering servant, I invite you to turn there. It will also be on the screen. Uh, it's on you know, page 900-something of my Bible. I don't know if that will help you. But we see Isaiah chapter 53, beautiful passage of the suffering of Christ. But we see this inheritance at the conclusion of that chapter in verse 12. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Christ now is our advocate because he has paid that penalty once and for all. The creator of the universe, the eternal one, has come and paid that price for us. Go read Colossians chapter 1 if you want a really cool picture of the, the creator taking the place of the sinner. Beautiful picture. And another picture of fulfillment, again, a passage you've probably heard before. Go to Isaiah, I'm sorry, not Isaiah. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 33. Again, the new covenant, the covenant that's fulfilled in Christ, becomes a new covenant, one of eternal promise. Jeremiah 31, 31. We made it repetitive for you. Get it there. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them to hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So, Basically, the, the short end of it here is that God realized that we couldn't keep that law ourselves. And so he sent himself, Jesus, to do it. And that is the new covenant. And in that, when, they, when you trust Christ as your Savior, he writes the law on your heart. What does that mean? Basically, it's describing the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
that we might come to that place of understanding. It only comes when God has revealed it to us. And how does He reveal it to us? By His Spirit. By His truth. And so if you're praying for somebody to come to faith in Christ, pray that God would reveal the truth of His Word. Because I can't save anybody. You can't save anybody. The Lord alone is the one who saves. And he sends his spirit to work in this world in this day. And I don't understand all of how that works. Because I'm but a man. I can look at the scriptures and come to a better understanding of it. But still, there's a mystery to it. And if God isn't mysterious, how is he God? Okay, think about that for a minute. There is mystery in how God works in our hearts. But He gives us the blessing and the opportunity to come before Him, to bless Him in obedience, to trust in His name. And so now, when we've had that truth revealed in our lives, and we come to that point of faith and salvation, here we are now in that point where the rubber meets the road. We're reaching that point of that summit where we see that fulfillment in Him. Truly, well, verse 24, we, we went there, but we talked about that blood. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you now, now's the time. I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Verse 26, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. One of the things that's left unsaid here is the tradition in the Passover of a fourth cup. It doesn't say anything about the fourth cup. We're talking about the third cup here. And how we get that is when you you look at the whole Seder service, you see that the third cup is the cup of redemption. The fourth cup is one that is basically skipped here. What did they do? They sang a hymn. What hymn did they sing? Well, I didn't put it in here, but tradition holds that they sang from uh, the Psalms 111 to 118. They would sing all of those in whatever tune they had for them. They had their timbrel, and they had, you know, their lyre, and they, they had all those different instruments, perhaps, or they just sang them as they had learned them in the, under the rabbi's teaching. But these were psalms of fulfillment of what Christ would ultimately do for us as the anointed one, the Messiah. And they sang that song, and they, they went to the Mount of Olives. Now, what we're going to find now, the Garden of Gethsemane is at the base of the Mount of Olives. This is a place where Jesus would come and, and pray regularly. And that's one of the reasons Judas could find him there. It's because he knew that's where Jesus would go. But it was a place of fellowship with each other, but ultimately a place of fellowship with the Lord. Like I said, the the slope is about to get a lot slipperier. Slipperier? Is that a word? More slippery? I got too many teachers in the room. I feel judged. Just kidding. All right. 
No. Um, but it gets a lot more slippery from this point on. And it seems like it's out of control. But God has had this plan from the start. And just because it seems like it's out of control does not mean that the destination isn't secure. Jesus knew what he came to do. And one of the big problems that the lost see when they hear the story of the gospel is, I don't want God to do that for me. I want to do it myself. I don't deserve that. Although those things might be true, but the fact is, is that without Christ, you don't have salvation. And when you don't trust in Him, our destination is secure in a totally different state. And that is eternal separation from Him in hell. That's not a place you want to go. We talked about Judas in verse 21, and the Son of Man goes as is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. That's the path you go without faith in Christ. The path of the betrayer. Here, that path of trust and obedience leads us to the hope of salvation. And it is not an easy path. Jesus went that path himself. But what did he teach his disciples along the way earlier in the Gospels? If you're going to follow me, you've got to take up your cross daily. Follow me. You've got to lay aside your own preferences and desires and submit your life to the will of the Lord. It's not an easy path that we have been called to. It's just not. And what we find here is that though it may seem out of control, though that slope may be steep, and we may be careening down it at a speed we don't think we can have it, God has it set that Christ paid the penalty. Now, this place of fulfillment from the Exodus comes to a whole new place of fulfillment for eternity. That we might find hope. So when we come to the place of the, the Lord's Supper, we were reminded of His goodness and of His blessing and that He calls us to a place of trust forever. Christ paid the penalty for our sins once and for all. You can't put Him back on the cross. This is a unique moment in history that fulfilled thousands of years of prophecy and now He calls us to look back and realize that the promise is eternal. The Bible from beginning to, be to end is all about Jesus. The Old Testament points forward to that story of redemption. And the, the New Testament after the Gospels talks about pointing back and living as the redeemed. Now, how now shall we live? Paul says if God is for us, who can be against us? God has an incredible plan for you, for your life, for your family, and it all starts where he paid the price. Will you trust him and give it to him?